I know that eight years of systemic disenfranchisement, disinvestment, and incompetence had its desired effect on the electoral process in Georgia. The erosion of our democracy is not right. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Not just in Georgia. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and Cottage Grove on KSO in Eugene on KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, Seattle on KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day. On the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. David Roberts, our friend over at Vox.com, tweeted over the weekend, Welp, they did it. The GOP disenfranchised enough Democratic voters to cheat their way to razor-thin victories in Florida and Georgia right in front of us with everyone watching. David said, I expect that will only encourage them. Hard to disagree with that. Uh, Maybe you do. Uh, I don't. And uh, what happened in Georgia and and in Florida is a disgrace. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, coming up in a bit. Um, We have been covering the midterm election results and attempts to oversee the counting and assure it's Uh, actually accurate, which is no easy feat over the past two weeks since Election Day. We are not done yet. More news on elections and election results and the fight to oversee them and assure that every vote is counted somehow coming up uh, today with more races now called over the weekend here in California and, yes, in the great state of Florida. But I'd also like to hear from you today. If possible, I will be opening the phones Uh, A little bit later, if you want to line up right now, our number is 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. What did the Democrats do right this past election? What did they do wrong? Uh, Any thoughts on that? And what would you like to see them do first when they take over their majority in the U.S. House in January? I'd love to hear your thoughts on all of that. 
as it's uh, likely our last chance to get in some phone calls before the Thanksgiving Day holiday break coming up in just a few days. Um, Police now say that uh, the suspected gunman is dead at Mercy Hospital in Chicago. An officer and three others are in critical conditions fo- condition following a shooting at that Chicago hospital. So, sadly, more of the same there. Uh, as well, um, before we get to elections here, we got to get to uh, these California wildfires first, beginning with the um, continuing climate change-fueled national catastrophe of these wildfires here in Southern California and Northern California, in particular in the northern part of the state. The numbers being reported by Cal Fire officials continue, frankly, to be unfathomable. There are now 77 confirmed dead in the Northern California campfire alone. I believe another three uh, three died in uh, Southern California. Is that confirmed at this time, Des? Was it uh, three? Right now, the only thing I have is that the Woolsey fire killed three people. So that in, holds sta- steady. Yeah. Um, and the Woolsey fire, now that is still burning west of Los Angeles, and more than 1,500 buildings have been completely destroyed. And as of Monday, it uh, it is more than 90% contained. But as you've mentioned, the camp fire in Northern California. That's the one that stands at 77 dead. And uh, officials over the weekend said that something like 1,200 people now over the weekend were right. unaccounted for. And that has now dropped to a, to a bit over 990 people. So it's less than 1,000 people still missing. And uh, Butte County Sheriff Coney Hone, Corey Honey said that uh, the reason for these numbers changing so much on the list of the unaccounted for is that officials are giving out the raw data that they're compiling from missing person reports, from calls, from reports, emails, social media, stuff like that. Ever since the, the fire began on November November 8th, and they are actually releasing that raw data, and that's why it changes so much. The list could also potentially contain duplicate names. Um, there are lots of people that may not realize that they're on the list of the unaccounted for. So they're they're hoping they're hoping that not all of those missing uh, will be among the the death. I, of course, I hope so as well. But even if a fraction of them, I mean, even if you know 10 percent, we're talking about another hundred dead. So I yes. I continue to hope. Somehow that these numbers are wildly wrong and that somehow Cal Fire is just, you know, in in an abundance of caution listing everything and uh, everybody who, who uh, you know right. has called in with a complaint. I can only hope because right. these numbers are are staggering. They're unfathomable. We're already at 77 in that uh, campfire up north alone with, you know. Now, thankfully, 900 missing. But good Lord, we are talking about a lot of folks in this fire, which has so far charred some 236 square miles since November 8th. That was the uh, totals that uh, I've seen. I don't know if you have updated numbers on that. Uh, That's about right. It's 65 percent contained as of Monday. Full containment is not expected until at least November 30th. Now, that's just containment. That's Mm -hmm. not putting the fire out. It could take another couple of months to put the campfire out. Um, Another couple of months? Potentially. Potentially. I mean, these are difficult areas to get to. They're mountainous. There are a few roads to get to them. 
time, but containment is important. And now there is rain in the forecast. And, you know, there's good news and bad news with the rain in the forecast. It will help damp down some of those flames. It's supposed to start as early as Tuesday night. They're expecting four to six inches in Northern California. That will help the fires, but it will also help the air quality. Because remember, the mm. air quality yeah. in Northern California it's is horrible terrible. right now yeah. uh, because of the fires. In some places, it has been measured as worse than the worst cities in China and India mm. temporarily. So the smoke will hopefully be tamped down by the rain, but the rain will also bring a bigger risk of mudslides in these burn areas, and it's also going to make it more difficult to search for remains. Donald Trump was in uh, California over the weekend touring uh, some of these sites. Uh, he toured the uh, town of Paradise, 27,000 population there, which was burnt to the ground uh, pretty much entirely. He uh, he referred to the town as pleasure. Yeah. Rather than paradise. It's like, you know, you got one thing. Get yeah, the name right, right at least. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, he, he toured with uh, Governor Jerry Brown and Governor-elect uh, Gavin Newsom. Uh, and, and by the way, a lot of uh, people thought that uh, Brown and Newsom should not have met with Trump at all. I'm not sure I agree with that. Uh, but, of course, if you have thoughts on that, we'll uh, take them, too, in a little bit. 818-985-5735. Of course, Donald Trump continues to be a climate change denier despite viewing the uh, devastation in uh, in these fires up north. And was this, um, I think this was over the weekend. Yes, when... this was on Saturday. This was him touring the actual devastation, the site itself in Paradise, uh, California. And here's this idiotic comment that Donald Trump had to say about these fires. Take care of the floors, you know, the floors of the forests, very important. I was with the president of Finland and he said, we have... Uh, much different. We're a forest nation. He called it a forest nation. And they spend a lot of time on raking and cleaning and doing things, and they don't have any problem. And when it is, it's a very small problem. So, Des, uh, it's uh, according to Trump this week or uh, this day, it's now the fault for not raking. It's, <laughs> it's our fault for not raking in the forests I, like they do out in Finland? I, no, I said it's just totally not true. Now, um, the New York Times actually asked the president of Finland what the hell Trump was talking about, and he was quite perplexed. He said he never said anything of the kind. He did, however, talk about how Finland manages its forests when he met with them over, the, uh, over November 11th in Paris, and that's not at all what he talked about. He talked about their forest management as in they take the time and they have the funding to clear away dead trees. That's not something that commercial logging, the commercial logging industry is interested in. They're not interested in downed dead trees. They want the pretty live ones. So this was actually an opportunity for Trump to use our disaster and our tragedy in California to try to make some more inroads on re, re lifting those protections for our forests so they can be opened up to commercial logging. I mean, that's what this is about. So he took what the 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 guy in in Finland said and turned that into we're not raking the forest floors. Exactly. Here and was, of course, you know, yeah. I do want to say Finland yeah. is way colder than California and they also get much more rain and snow than we get in California. So those are also kind of factors. reasons why they don't have quite as many problems with wildfires as we do. Correct. Um, Ted Lieu, Congressman Ted Lieu from uh, down here in Southern California, he responded. I think this was uh, in response to Donald Trump's comments about raking the forest floor uh, over the weekend. 
It is unfortunate that we have a president that doesn't appear to believe in science. If preventing wildfires were as easy as raking leaves, uh, we would have done that by now. But it is a very complicated issue. Climate change does play a large role. Decades ago, scientists predicted that because of climate change, we're going to have more extreme weather events. That's what we're seeing now. We have hotter weather, drier weather. In addition, we had some Santa Ana winds that also caused these fires to be more destructive. So I hope the president consults some experts, maybe talks to folks who actually know something about wildfires and really stop believing these bizarre theories that he has. Well, if he talks to his experts, so-called experts, they're going to tell him the same thing. Ryan Zinke, the uh, head of the uh, uh, in, interior, interior thank you, interior department, was speaking on wingnut Breitbart uh, news on Sunday, said he didn't want to point any fingers, and then he went about blaming environmental radicals at the uh, at the Sierra Club Which or something is, like that is nonsense complete yeah. so those and are total the, nonsense those are the experts i guess that uh, donald trump would be talking to if he did bother to talk to anybody about this instead of just you know turning on fox news and finding out what those experts call uh, uh, tell him uh, we'll be talking more about this, I suspect, in the coming days. Uh, the cause of these fires appears to have been sparked by electric lines, electric utility poles. Yes. Which are still not buried underground and continue to spark these type of fires all over California. Now, let's just say it's under investigation. It has, has not been specifically officially named as the cause. However, Pacific Gas and Electric, the main utility that's up there, reported two electrical substations had problems moments before the fire started in the location of the fire. So we'll see what happens. PG&E was blamed for 17 of the fires that uh, went that swept through Santa Rosa and wine country last year because they their fire their power lines were blown down by the wind and then the fires spread very quickly. So they've already been said liable for those previous fires last year. And that was a record fire last year and now we have outdone last year's record again. And, uh, you know, the idea that we have not buried that, hey, Donald Trump, you want a great infrastructure project? Bury every goddamn electric line uh, in, in this entire country, California and all the other states. And we would go a long way at stopping these kind of uh, uh, fires, these uh, various power outages that occur during our increasing storms, hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, everything else. Uh, if you want a jobs program, if you want uh, an infrastructure program, you could start right there, Mr. Trump. All right, let's take a, a quick break and we will come back with, uh, yes, the election continues. The, t the counting continues. Um, we are near we are at the last or the near last of the races to be called from the November 8 midterm elections. But we got a couple other elections that are also coming up in a few days. I realize many folks have probably already forgotten about that, but no we haven't. Not here, not on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. 
please stop by bradblog.com donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com donate. And thank you. Well, maybe. Close. Almost. We're almost there. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Want to try to get to some of your calls in a little bit at 818-985-5735. If you're listening live here in Southern California or anywhere else, 818-985-KPFK. What did the Democrats do right this year in the election? What did they do wrong in the 28 midterms as you see it? And what would you like to see as their uh, to be their top priorities when the Democrats take over their new majority this January? Uh, 818-985-5735 is our phone number if you want to line up now. All right, over the weekend, after varying forms of what the state of Florida described as recounts, this is largely running the same hand-marked paper ballots back through the same computer tabulators that counted them in the first place, either correctly or incorrectly, who knows. And then, at least in the U.S. Senate race in Florida, examining the ballots that registered no vote at all when they were scanned by the computers, examining those by hand. Democrat Andrew Gillum officially conceded to Republican uh, Congressman Ron DeSantis in the uh, gubernatorial election in Florida over the weekend. He is said to have uh, lost, uh, Gillum lost to uh, DeSantis by 0.4 percent. That's four-tenths of a percentage point, according to the numbers after these very partial so-called recounts. And in the even closer U.S. Senate race in Florida, incumbent Democratic Senator Bill Nelson has now conceded to Florida's termed-out Republican Governor Rick Scott, in a race that uh, Scott reportedly won by 0.12 percent, just over one-tenth of one percent. That's uh, 10,033 votes as of last tally out of more than 8 million counted by the uh, computers and that limited hand count across the state of Florida. So uh, a few weeks ago, just after election night, when media began reporting that Gillum and Nelson appeared to have lost in the state of Florida, despite Democrats doing so well in so many other states and doing so well in this referendum uh, to re-enfranchise former felons in the state of Florida. Just after that, I posed the question, well, what's the matter with Florida? That question may need a very long answer and more time than we have on this show, at least today. But our friend Ari Berman cuts to the heart of the matter in a report this month uh, for for the latest Mother Jones. He writes that in 2007, then Republican Florida governor Charlie Crist, who later became a Democrat, instituted a change that automatically restored voting rights to certain nonviolent ex-felons. But in 2011, uh, Rick Scott, his successor, when he came in and replaced Governor Christ, he reversed the governor's policy, the previous governor, previous Republican governor's policy, 
and made the law against former uh, non-violent ex-felons, made that law even harsher. Now, people with felony records have to wait five to seven years before they could petition the clemency board that was helmed by Governor Scott and three other Republican officials in order to restore their voting rights. Under Scott, Berman notes, 90 percent of ex-felons have had their applications denied. Again, ex-felons, people who have already served their time, 90 percent of them, after waiting all of those years and applying to get their voting rights back, their applications were denied. Only 3,000 people have seen their rights restored during Governor Rick Scott's eight years as governor. Just 3,000 people. That compared with 155,000 under Charlie Crist and under his Republican uh, uh, predecessor, Republican Jeb Bush, 75,000 had their voting rights restored. But under Crist, 3,000 in those eight years. Because of the long uh, backlog, the wait time to get uh, even a hearing before the governor and this clemency board that time, you would have to wait more than a decade as the Florida law had been up until November 6th. In February of this year, a federal judge called the system crushingly restrictive, said it needed to be reformed. In 2016, Donald Trump defeated Hillary Clinton by in Florida by 113 votes. And yet... There are half a million, 500,000 African-Americans who were unable to vote in 2016 thanks to Scott's restrictions on voting rights for former felons. African-Americans who did vote in Florida favored Clinton by a 76-point margin. Well, over the weekend, uh, that was Ari uh, from the upcoming uh, Mother Jones issue. Over the weekend, Ari Berman uh, tweeted that Rick Scott won his Senate race by 10,000 votes. And yet 1.7 million people overall, including 500,000 African-Americans, were disenfranchised in Florida in 2018. He says Scott only restored the voting rights to 3,000 people, twice as many whites as blacks, he notes, and adds this is how Scott won how he won a U.S. Senate seat for the next six years and how Ron DeSantis won the governor's mansion for the next four years. It is hard to argue with that. Now, uh, the good news is that Florida voters by about 65 percent voted to approve a constitutional ballot measure that will now reenfranchise these former felons. Uh, so it's a bit surprising, in truth, that Nelson and Gillum were reported to have not won their races based on the computer tally of votes in that constitutional ballot measure in any event. But now that has passed, yet with a Republican back in uh, uh, control in, in, uh, in Florida as governor, rumors are already coming out that he plans to bollocks up that constitutional amendment with legislation somehow. So that uh, disenfranchisement could continue. We will continue to watch it closely here since it may be the only way that uh, Republicans can win the state in 2020 is if they continue to keep these 1.7 million people from being able to cast a vote at all. Meanwhile, uh, over the weekend in Broward County, Florida, the supervisor of elections there, Brenda Snipes, who has faced national uh, scrutiny in uh, recent days, 
for her county's chaotic performance during the so-called recount in Florida. Uh, She resigned on Sunday. Snipes had served as Broward Supervisor of Elections for 15 years after being appointed by then-Governor Jeb Bush back in 2003. And I've heard a a lot of folks complaining that uh, somehow Snipes was doing something wrong, uh, committing some sort of fraud on behalf of Democrats. Little reminder here. She was appointed by the Republican governor, Jeb Bush. Her county's performance during the most recent recount, which was delayed by faulty machines, missing ballots, had prompted Governor Rick Scott to make completely unsubstantiated allegations of fraud by Snipes. Uh, That, of course, uh, nonetheless, she has been a terrible supervisor of elections out there for many years And uh, her county's uh, recent performance in the so-called recounts is just the latest in a string of mismanaged election issues in Broward, as uh, she has been the supervisor there. Most notably, Snipes was uh, justifiably widely criticized for destroying ballots after the 2016 election 10 months earlier than the uh, federal requirement. You're supposed to keep ballots for 22 months after any uh, uh, federal election. A circuit judge ruled that Snipes' office had violated both state and federal laws by destroying those ballots just 12 months instead of 22 months after the election. She kept what she says are the digital ballot images from those ballots, the, the scans from those ballots. She says she kept those, but not the ballots themselves. So, yeah, she has been a disaster in her 15 years since being appointed by a Republican in the Democratic-leaning Broward County. Um, Few will be sad to see her go, frankly, though claims that she was committing fraud are overwrought at best, based on the uh, evidence that we have right now. uh, Anyway, she was harassed by Republicans over the past couple of weeks, thanks to folks like Rick Scott, and yes, the president of the United States claiming that she was somehow stealing the election for Democrats. Apparently she didn't, uh, but the uh, claims, the calls with no evidence whatsoever were appalling. And while I'm happy to see Snipes go in Broward, frankly, there may be other Florida supervisors of election now, based on what I am hearing from some folks in Florida who may end up stepping down as well or not running again for the uh, uh, supervisor of elections post just because of the harassment that has become unbearable uh, for some of them. And uh, frankly, that would be a real shame if that happened. Kristen Clark, president and executive director of the Lawyers Committee for Voting Under uh, Civil Rights, uh, for, for, uh, for Civil Rights Under Law, Um, made a statement over the weekend in response to the conclusion of the electoral races in both Georgia and Florida. Uh, She said that the scars and battle wounds from this election season make clear that voter suppression is rampant and unchecked. At every turn, we encountered voter suppression across Georgia and Florida aimed squarely at African-Americans, Latinos, and other voters of color. While contested races come to a close... Uh, says Ms. Clark, we know that there are many who were disenfranchised and locked out, locked out because of malfeasance in some communities and gross negligence in others. In Georgia, 
She says, we fought officials who found reasons to reject ballots of minority voters at higher rates, purged the registration rolls, consolidated polling sites and took other action. Uh, directed at the state's voters of color. In Florida, we fought racist robocalls, discriminatory signature match verification procedures, unprocessed uh, mail ballots and others and other rules intended to silence black and Latino voters. She notes, as the dust settles, Congress must make restoration of the Voting Rights Act and election reform its highest priority in the new year. This election season stands as powerful evidence of the corrosive effect of voter suppression in our democracy today. Nowhere was that suppression clearer than what we saw in the state of Georgia. In uh, On Friday's broadcast, we played some of uh, Democratic gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams' announcement that there was no viable legal path for her to be able to defeat Georgia's Republican Secretary of State and champion vote suppressor Brian Kemp in her very close contest to become the next governor of the Peach State, uh, there was nowhere to go. There weren't. There just weren't enough votes out out there. Thanks to voter purges, rejected absentee and provisional ballots, and yes, the state's 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems, which can never ever be audited in any way to determine if they accurately reflect the voters' intent. Much as we've been warning about on this show for more years than I care to remember. Stacey Abrams announced the formation of a new organization on Friday called Fair Fight Georgia, vowing a federal lawsuit in the coming days against the gross mismanagement of the election by Kemp which she has not conceded because she said conceding would be to acknowledge that uh, something was done, uh, you know, correctly and accurately and truly, which she cannot. Good for her. Uh, All of that uh, gross mismanagement she refers to resulted in massive suppression. uh, And what I had been warning about for weeks could not possibly be seen as a legitimate Election, a legitimate result if Kemp ended up winning under these conditions. In the final certified results, Kemp has avoided a December runoff against Stacey Abrams by just 0.22 percent, less than a quarter of one percentage point out of about four million votes cast after uh, Brian Kemp had purged some one and a half million voters from the rolls, after he had put 53,000 registrations on hold, after he had closed more than 200 polling places, leading to four and a half hour lines to vote in some places, four and a half hours. And after Kemp falsely accused Democrats of cybercrimes just days before the election before his own election, which he oversaw as Secretary of State. Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown, as we discussed on Friday, called the election stolen. And he's hardly the only one questioning the legitimacy of Kemp's win as governor in the state of Florida. Over the weekend, former U.S. ambassador to the Czech Republic, Norm Eisen, who is now CEO of the uh, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, he tweeted over the weekend referring to the massive voter suppression in Georgia by saying, quote, I was a U.S. ambassador. If my host country had attacked democracy in this way, I would have publicly slammed them 
and called for economic sanctions against them. I certainly would not have treated the quote-unquote winning candidate as a normal head of the state, and we should not do so here. Talking about Brian Kemp, the new, uh, soon to be the new head of state in the state of Georgia. On Friday, in her uh, announcement, Abrams said, I acknowledge that former Secretary of State Brian Kemp will be certified as the victor in the 2018 gubernatorial elections. But to watch an elected official who claims to be who claims to represent the people of this state baldly pin his hopes for an election on the suppression of the people's democratic right to vote has been truly appalling, she said. Again. Hard to argue with that. But in uh, some more encouraging news for voters as the ballots are, yes, still being tallied out here and or uh, in California and uh, challenged in several states, including New York, Utah. Yes, Georgia. There's still an undecided House race there, U.S. House race. And yes, out here in California, Democratic uh, candidate Gil Cisneros captured a Republican-held U.S. House seat in Southern California, capping a Democratic route over the weekend in which the party picked up six congressional seats from Republicans in this state. In what had uh, been the last undecided House contest in California, Cisneros, according to AP's call, beat Republican Young Kim for the state's 39th congressional district. The Cisneros victory over the weekend cements a stunning political realignment in the state that will leave a vast stretch of the L.A. metropolitan area under Democratic control in the U.S. House. With Kim's defeat, four Republican-held House districts, all or partly in Orange County, once nationally known as a GOP stronghold, four Republican House seats will have shifted in one single election to the Democrats. That change means that the county, which is Richard Nixon's birthplace, site of his presidential library, formerly known as Reagan country, Uh, Orange County will have only Democrats now representing them in Washington, D.C. next year. The Orange County Democratic Party said it is the first time since 1940 that all seven House seats in the county, home to 3.2 million people, the first time since 1940 that all of those seats are in Democratic control. Democrats also recently picked up the last Republican House seat anchored in L.A. County, When Democrat Katie Hill ousted Republican Congressman Steve Knight, the GOP also lost a seat up in the uh, Central Valley, the uh, agricultural agricultural Central Valley. So with other gains now, Democrats uh, all told here, Democrats will hold a 45 to 8 edge, 45 to 8 in the U.S. House, in the California U.S. House delegation next year. And again, as I've been uh, talking about over the past few days on the show, that is without partisan gerrymandering here in California. Our districts are determined by an independent commission. Despite Democratic control of the governor's mansion and the state legislature, this is all done independently. So when you hear this 45 to 8 advantage by uh, Republicans, I'm sorry, by Democrats in the U.S. House delegation, it is not because... 
the seats have been essentially stolen from them by Democrats, the way we have seen in uh, states around the country where Republicans are in control and have done uh, these extreme partisan gerrymanders. Uh, Cisneros, who won this uh, final uncalled race, uh, is a 47-year-old. He, uh, he's a lottery jackpot winner. He won $266 million in the lottery jackpot. Sounds pretty nice. Sounds I would take ni- that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> if, if you took it, would you then run for, uh, for Congress? You know, that's an interesting question. I just might do that. But I wouldn't run against my own congressman, Adam Schiff. I like him. Not me. I'd be retiring to the Barbados or something. I'm exhausted. So, uh, of course, I have to win the I have to play the lottery to actually win it. Yeah, I'm told you can't win if you don't yeah. play. It's a minor detail. That's what I hear. Uh, Cisneros was a first time candidate here. He described his interest in Congress as an extension of his time in the military, saying it was about public service. He runs a charitable foundation with his wife on health care. He talked about his mother uh, who went without insurance for 16 years saying that should just not happen in this country. Democrats are on track to hold every single statewide office in uh, California. Again, the party holds a supermajority in both chambers of the legislature and has a more than three and a half million vote advantage in voter registration. Republicans are in trouble out here in California unless Democrats screw it up. Uh, in any event, that puts the uh, Democrat, which uh, they're very good at, by the way, the, the uh, Democratic pickup now in the U.S. House is at 37 seats with one more race in New York leaning towards the Democrats. Um, one uh, there also leans towards Republicans, another undecided race in New York. There are also two uncalled House races, uh, one in Utah and, yes, one in Georgia. But it means the Democrats will have a net gain of at least 37 seats in a route that blows away their last blue wave back in 2006 during the disastrous presidency of George W. Bush. So what would you like to see them do? With that uh, with that majority, with that new House majority in January, I'd love to hear from you. 818-985-5735. What would you like to see as the first thing Democrats do? 818-985-KPFK. Uh, I got a few more stories here. Uh, let me well, you know what? Let me do one and then we'll come back uh, with uh, your calls and some other uh, thoughts here, um, because this is a big one. Democrat Katie Hobbs, she declared victory. On Friday, late on Friday in the race for Arizona Secretary of State, 10 days after the AP had initially and yes, wrongly, apparently called the race for her opponent, Republican Steve Gaynor, because apparently they could not they just could not wait for all the votes to be counted out there in Arizona. Um before declaring a winner for some reason when they when they did so on election night, there were still nearly a million ballots uncounted across the state of Arizona. There's still several uh, uh, about 70,000 uh, ballots that are still to be processed. But on uh, Friday, Hobbs was leading with more than 15,000 uh, votes and that uh, lead was still climbing the Democrat Hobbs. In her statement, she said, as secretary of state, I will work to ensure that every eligible voter, Republican, Democrat, independent, green, libertarian, can cast your ballot with the confidence that your vote counts and your voice matters and do so in a way that is meaningful and convenient for you, she promises. Well, that would be a nice change of pace for many voters 
in uh, in the state of Arizona, if if true, if she uh, follows through with that. Republican Governor Doug Ducey called her to congratulate her on Friday afternoon before she declared victory. And then shortly afterwards, uh, she received a call from Steve Gaynor, the Republican vying for secretary of state there in Arizona. So in winning this race, Hobbs will be yet another Democrat who won a tightly contested uh, statewide race in what had historically been red Arizona. Last Monday, you'll recall Republican um, Martha McSally conceded for the, uh, the the race for U.S. Senate to Democrat K- uh, Kirsten Cinema. That was a pickup from the Republican Jeff Flake. Um, the night before, Democrat K- uh, Kathy Hoffman in Arizona declared victory over uh, Republican Frank Riggs in the race for Arizona Superintendent of Public Instruction, the school superintendent there. So, yes, Arizona now finally seems to be turning blue to some extent. Thank you, Mr. Trump. Great job. This is huge news for uh, Arizona before the 2020 presidential election, particularly having a Democratic secretary of state there. Hopefully everyone knows uh, after seeing what happened in Georgia this year under Secretary of State Brian Kemp, how a state's chief election official can essentially steal an election if they put their mind to it. So even as election tallies wrap up from November 6, please note there are some outstanding runoff elections still to come. One of them is in Georgia. Yes, in the secretary of state's race where Democratic Congressman John Barrow is facing Republican state rep Brad Raffensperger. After neither got more than 50 percent of the vote on November 6th, But somehow Secretary of State Brian Kemp managed to do that just barely. Huh. Uh, Anyway, hopefully Georgians now uh, appreciate the importance of the elected role of the Secretary of State and can somehow overcome voter suppression that is still in place in Georgia, thanks to Kemp, in order to elect a uh, a Democrat there. But uh, we'll see. As, As you may imagine, we will be watching that closely in the days and weeks ahead. Since the 2020 presidential race uh, make all come down to Georgia, as far as I know. All right. Quick break here. Back with your calls and some more election news. If I have time, 818-985-5735. I'd be just as happy to talk to you if you want to call 818-985-KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Broadcast Brad Friedman from bradblog.com taking your calls on the midterm elections or anything else you want to talk about, including those fires up in Northern California. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Do I want to hit any of these first? Nah, we'll see. Um, 
Yeah, I'll get to well, okay. Well, let's get to the calls first. Uh, what did Democrats do right in this election? What did they do wrong in the 2018 midterms? Love to hear from you. 818-985-5735. And what would you like to see them do first? Let's go to uh, Mohammed in Chino. Welcome to the broadcast, uh, Mohammed. Hoping you're clear of the fires uh, nearby in Chino. Yeah, thanks for taking my call, Brad. Love the show. Uh, I'm, I'm in Chino, so we don't have anything immediately bothering us. But I Good. wanted to make a comment, because a lot of times when, when people are talking about Republicans versus the Democrats, they uh, they have the image of Republicans as we know them today from, like, you know, the 70s and 80s on, as mm-hmm. being anti, you know, civil rights and all that kind of stuff. But uh, what most people don't remember is the Democrats used to be the Republicans and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Like, from the time of Lincoln... Up until, you know, like, like they say, the 40s or something, when the Democrats won. Well, actually, until the, until the Civil Rights Act was passed in well, 1965, well, yeah, and that, every, that they sort of switched, yeah. yeah. That, that was a switch, basically, where what became cemented into the public, you know, persona of Democrats versus Republicans before mm-hmm. it was the Dixiecrats, you know what I mean? Yep. So that's the one issue, because, like, a lot of times they'll make some statement about, oh, it's been 40 years since this. And I'm like, well, really, you can't count it from that time or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, and— yeah, uh, and I appreciate that thought because uh, you're absolutely right. And the way the uh, corporate media tends to cover Republicans, it is as if they were still this uh, generally this moderate party, fiscal conservatives. They are not fiscal conservatives, family values Republicans. They are not family values uh, Republicans, as you can see who by who they elected and and how they govern. Uh, so you know, I, I've been yelling and screaming about the way the. Uh, the corporate media has been misreporting on what has come of the uh, Republican Party over the past, I would say, 10 yeah. or 20 years at this point. So yeah, thanks for. I, yeah. I often wonder if it's that myopia of modern day young newscasters who don't know their history. <laughs> Uh, you know what? I don't know. I, I think it has to do with uh, more the, the the corporations who are behind these uh, be, these big companies and the idea that if you report these facts as truth, if you call out someone as a liar, if you point out that, you know, it's under uh, Republican control of the White House, jobs go down, the deficit goes up, all of the things right. that Republicans protect. If you point those things out, you're being a partisan. You know, I pointed them out for years and people accused me of being a Democrat. I'm not a Democrat. I'm just telling the truth. So, you know, there's one more point I wanted to make, which was like you asked the question, what did the Democrats do wrong and all that? Right. Mm -hmm. So my issue was began with Bernie Sanders when the Democratic Party sandbagged him and just to support Hillary. Mm -hmm. Right. And they've done that down the line for any progressive. And you can see that that the way the progressives won in large numbers was against the Democratic will of the party. Uh, Against the, yeah, against the establishment, the uh, conservative blue dogs, the DCCC. Yeah, you know, you saw a lot of uh, progressive Democrats, young progressive Democrats stepping up. And guess what? They are changing the party. They're pushing yeah. uh, those folks out, and to me, that's that's the way you do it. Democracy. It's new blood. I mean, yep. just that picture of all of the new Democratic uh, yeah. House of Representatives. Yeah. House House representatives. Yeah. 
look like a United Nations as opposed to the GOP picture. Yeah, no, uh, a word of warning to our listeners. If you're going to look at that GOP picture, make sure you have sunglasses on first. You may need them. (laughs) Hey, thanks, Mohammed. I appreciate the call, brother. Uh, Hang in there. Stay safe. Let me go to uh, GS in uh, South Lake Tahoe. Hey, GS, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, Brad. I used to do volunteer work at KPFK. You know, your last comment makes me laugh. Democracy, what a concept. Yeah. Paraphrasing Robin Williams. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my, my basic uh, observation here is I, I understand that states get to determine their own voting procedures, practices, probably equipment. Mm-hmm. But why can't there be federal standards for voting machines, et cetera, where, where the different states under public pressure will have to indicate whether they support the federal standards or not? Here's my question. Well, we actually do have uh, federal standards, but they're voluntary standards. They're put in place put by the Election free. Assistance Commission. They're Yeah, they're voluntary. There are certain things that uh, courts have determined that the federal government can do when it comes to election uh, to elections, certain requirements. But when it comes to voting systems... Yeah, the uh, the standards are terrible to begin with, even if you followed the standards. And by the way, we don't even follow them here in California anymore. Our Democratic Secretary of State decided we don't need to follow the standards, the federal standards anymore here in uh, California. Most states don't follow those standards. They're crappy standards to begin with. Uh, and, you know, at best right now, we're seeing a push by a lot of, uh, of, of Democrats to require a paper ballot for every vote cast, but they're not demanding a hand count. Uh, I'm sorry, they're not demanding a hand marked paper ballot. So, like what we're about to get here in Los Angeles, the largest voting jurisdiction in the nation, we are about to get touchscreen computers that will print out computer marked paper ballots, not hand marked paper ballots. So, it'll be 100 uh, percent impossible to know uh, to verify any of those ballots as having been cast by the actual voter after the election. So got to keep the pressure on, brother. That's all I can say. It's maddening. (laughs) Thanks, GS. I I do appreciate that call. Hey, it's our old friend Mo. I haven't heard from Morris in a while up in Long Beach. Hey, Morris, welcome to the broadcast, sir. How you doing? Brad, I'm doing real good, Brad. Thanks for asking. I just wanted to answer your questions. What is it that the Democrats did right this past election Mm -hmm. cycle? Well, they weren't Trump. And uh, also, uh, what is it that the Democrats need to do with the second question? Well, the Democrats need to be Democrats. I didn't say the corporate Democrats. They need to be the indigenous Democrats. You know, we talk about Republicans and Democrats. Check this out. Here in California, it was a Democrat that held up health care. For everybody in the state of California, I think his name is Rendon, he got a total of $700,000, I can't even count that much, $700,000 from the pharmaceutical industry not to allow that legislation to come to the, uh, come to the floor. Now, when Obama was the president— You're talking about—just to, just to clarify, um, uh, Mo, you're talking about the uh, single-payer bill that had passed, I think, in the— in the state California State Senate, but not in the ho- but was blocked uh, by the Democratic leader in the House or vice versa. It might have been in the Senate. That Brad, you're yeah. on top of everything, aren't you, Brad? At least if we lace to this kind of stuff, you're on top of it. Now, when Obama was the president, Mr. Obama was the president. He had a Democratic Congress for about seventy-five days. And you know what? Those guys they they messed around and they lost it. 
They didn't act right. If you allow the corporate Democrats to take over this party as opposed, as opposed to the indigenous Democrats, we're going to have a problem. I'm talking about uh, Booker, uh, Harris, uh, Clinton, Biden. If those are the voices that you see on MSNBC and CNN, uh, we can lose it to the Republicans. All they got to do is just sit tight for a while because the corporate Democrats are going to take us down uh, faster than anything else. All they got to do is get out the way and allow the people, the will of the people, to come to pass, and they can stay in power forever. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Mo. I appreciate the call, brother. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Um, well, let's see. Do I have? Uh, yeah, the um, sorry. Got my papers all confused here. Uh, well, one thing I haven't talked about, by the way, coming up is, uh, yes, as I said, new elections coming up. I mentioned that runoff coming up in Georgia, December 4. Well, we have a, an election for the U.S. Senate coming up. Just next week on November 27, this is a a, a runoff in Mississippi just days after Thanksgiving for the U.S. Senate in Mississippi. This is a runoff in the special election to fill the seat vacated by the uh, ailing Thad Cochran earlier this year. Mississippi's Republican governor had appointed Republican Cindy Hyde-Smith to temporarily fill that seat, but a special election was required. That was held on November 6, and the top two vote-getters in that race were Hyde-Smith and former Democratic congressman and agricultural secretary Mike Espy. Uh, and they will be uh, facing off on November 27. Now, this is Mississippi, so it's very Republican, very Republican in general. But you know what? So was the state of Alabama until Democrat Doug Ducey won his special election for the U.S. Senate against right-wing nut Roy Moore last year. Now, Senator Hyde-Smith, Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith, she has been facing a barrage of criticism after the publication of a video On November 11, in which she discussed attending a lynching, telling a small crowd uh, on November 2nd uh, about someone or another saying, quote, if he invited me to a public lynching, I'd be in the front row. So that's a disturbing statement in Mississippi, of all places, given their history of lynching and murdering, yes, murdering voting rights advocates in Mississippi. And then a few nights ago, another video also uh, from early November, I think this was from November 3rd, while she was, while Hyde Smith was campaigning in Starkville, which is home of Mississippi State University. Um, the, uh, some video was published in which Hyde Smith is, is, is talking about voter suppression with what appears to be a group of students outside her campaign uh, bus. The audio is difficult to hear without subtitles on the radio, so I can't play it for you. But she says to the group outside the campaign bus, she says, uh, quote, and then they remind me that there is a lot of liberal folks in those other schools who who that maybe we don't want to vote. Maybe we want to make it just a little more difficult. And I think that's a great idea, she said in Mississippi with its history of disenfranchisement of voters. Now, as usual, when Republicans get caught saying stuff like that, Hyde Smith is now claiming that she was, oh, she was just joking. But yeah, hilarious, hilarious stuff, joking about lynching and making it more difficult for those liberal folks to vote in Mississippi, especially, by the way, while uh, she is running against a man who would be the state's first African-American U.S. Senator, 
since Reconstruction. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. By the way, you can also tweet me. I am uh, the Brad blog on the Twitters. Kofeve Lepew tweets in to say, I can still remember when Republicans didn't have to cheat to win. Uh, let's go to, uh, let's see, Jonathan in Oxnard. Hey, Jonathan, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, glad to talk to you. I've got two things about the fires. Oh, okay. First of all, um, if pigs are smart enough to build their houses out of bricks, it's time, uh, you know, Malibu keeps burning down, it building up. we got to build the houses out of concrete and bricks, mm. and they're durable during the fires. I mean, it just doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. So you can't... Okay. You you know, if you can't beat them, join them or whatever. All right. Second thing is dry ice particles. This should be used to put out the fires or to be small amounts of dry ice can be spread over a house and it can keep it from being burned. Really? And they can be dropped from helicopters. Okay. Never heard of that. Check out out EarthGuard on the uh, YouTube. There's a whole demonstration that puts out oil fires. All right. And regular fires. All right, and thanks. It's also good for good for oil spills. Also, thanks, Jonathan. Never heard of that. Uh, hope hope Jonathan doesn't work with big dry ice. That might be. All right, I uh, appreciate that call. Let me uh, very quickly. I'm going to try to get in a few more if I can. Got to be quick about it. Hey, Murray, welcome to the broadcast from uh, Warner Springs. That's uh, California. Yes, yeah, that's California down next to Temecula. Ah, and I was just uh, hoping that uh, we could uh, get the word out there that we need to. Uh, move some of this focus off and of outrage off of Trump into getting uh, some term limits set on these uh, senators that have been there for since they were born, it seems like. Why, why do we need term limits? Why don't we just vote them out? Well, because it, it doesn't happen. I mean, they, once they get enough, you know, the longer they've been in there, yeah. the more connections they make, the more uh, corporations they seem to be sponsored by. Yeah. And then, uh, they're able to advertise their uh, themselves all over the state, and uh, a lot of people they see a sign that says somebody's name on it yeah. everywhere, and that's who they vote. I, I hear you, Murray. So, I gotta. Uh, I'm gonna cut you short only because I gotta get out here uh, momentarily. But uh, a better idea than get getting rid of them because they got all of that corporate sponsorship. How about let's get rid of the corporate sponsorship in the first place so we can have a fair fight. Uh, oh, in yeah. these well, elections, as long as money, yeah, as long as money is uh, a form of free speech, yeah, um, you know we're going to have problems. <laughs> okay, I got, uh, yeah, I, I'm not so sure about that. I think we can get uh, corporate money out of our politics, but I, but I, I do take your point, uh, Murray. I just not sure yeah. I agree with term limits. Thanks, brother. I got to get yeah, out of here. Day. You bet. You too. Uh, do I have time? I really don't. I got to get out. I'm sorry, everyone. I couldn't get to on uh, the phone lines. Thank you for calling in. Sorry I couldn't get to everybody. But we will be back with you again, uh, well, tomorrow uh, on the broadcast. I hope you will join me for that. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my board operator, Gary Baca, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. That is it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Stand this in.